1: Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsburg. This is episode 135 of the show with Janine Alice. You can find her on Twitter at JanineBoost, J-A-N-I-N-E-B-O-O-S-T. This show is brought to you today by the wonderful supporters who have pledged every month to help bring this show to air over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Osher, O-S-H-E-R. Patreon is a wonderful way for people who like this show or other shows or any other show to show their support. Because while podcasts are free to listen to, they're not free to make. And uh, because of your incredible support, I've been able to work with Andy Ma, who's producing this show right now, and he's the very, very reason that I can bring you a show in each and every week. So Thank you for all the feedback. I hope the people who are supporting are enjoying the exclusive episodes they get from as little as $5 a month, you can uh, listen to exclusive episodes, which I bring out around the uh, first week of each month, and so there'll be another one coming your way very soon. very soon. Um, I'll keep this intro kind of short. It's been a big week in my head uh, to check in. It's been a very big week in my head. Um, I got papped the other day, which is a part of the job, that's okay. But I got papped the other day, and they made a big deal out of the fact that I had painted toes. You may want to know why I paint my toes, my toenails. Well, something I've been working on was my shrink. I've always done it, um, but I'm doing it at the moment because uh, I'm trying to remember that when I'm feeling overwhelmed, that my brain tries to tell me absolutely everything is horrible, not just the thing that I'm being triggered by the trouble, but absolutely everything is horrible. Every single sense that comes into my head, every piece of input that I am gaining from the world around me through sight, smell, touch, feeling and hearing is horrible. But that simply isn't true. So I remember my toes. I remember that when I get triggered, I breathe in, and I remember that I've got purple toes. And that those purple toes are in comfy shoes. Jeez, those shoes are comfy. Isn't that funny that I've got purple toes? So while this horrible thing is happening, it's not the entirety of the world. That something kind of silly is also happening. And the two can exist at the same time. Because my brain tries to tell me the two can't exist at the same time. And so slowly, I'm trying to add things upon that. You know, that yes, I've got comfy shoes on and... I'm holding the hand of my beautiful lover. There's a nice smell in the air today. Something like just kind of building the things a little bit stronger and stronger so I can build up an alternate neural pathway that will hopefully become the automatic thought to when I get triggered by horrible things. Because, yes, horrible things exist, but not everything is horrible. So I'm trying to work on that. You may not have to paint your toes, but I recommend it highly. Just feel under the soles of your feet. Breathe down into them. And just remember that, you know, not everything's 100%. So, quickly, let me tell you about my guest today. Janine Alice is an Australian businesswoman. She's an entrepreneur, CEO, and founder of the incredibly successful Boost Juice franchises. She's also a shark on Network Ten's Shark Tank, the Australian Shark Tank, which is now on Wednesday nights, which is great. She's a mother, she's an author, she's got a story that you won't believe which includes a few years working aboard David Bowie's private yacht in the Caribbean. Yeah, the story's brilliant because it's a triumph over what society expects from many people. That success is open to those only with a university degree. That's not true. The idea that one town isn't big enough for some people is very true with Janine. And I loved hearing what she had to say. Janine came over to my place in Bondi a few weeks back. We sat down and had a cup of tea and I had a conversation which I'm sure you'll enjoy. If you like what you hear, do let her know. Uh, Janine Boost on Twitter. She's also got a fantastic blog which I highly recommend. She does a lot of breakdowns of the episodes of Shark Tank. So if you're an entrepreneur or at all interested in business or how businesses work, Janine's breakdown and analysis of the pictures is incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, information that you don't need to go to business school to get. So if you like what you hear, please tell her or just tell a friend. Let a friend know about this show. That does everything for me. So let's do this. Enjoy a conversation with Janine Alice. The only thing that's
2: missing is the dog. No, I'm sorry. Right. But there's
1: no dog here because he, like I said, he's... Yeah, the in-laws are down from bribey. and... They both got, because um, they've just retired. Yeah. Like five weeks ago, the week before they retired, they went out and got the Garmin bands. Yeah. And now it's like, come on, Jamie, let's go for a walk.
2: Do you know what I see? For me, I don't get the bands, right? I don't. For me, I don't get it. No. But people live by it. People Love do that. I need to walk up and down the stairs. I've got to get my own, so many steps in it bizarre, isn't it? Whatever works, it man. Is. Actually, you know what? It's whatever works. Whatever well, works.
1: Whoever. Whatever works. Because you know as well as I do, we've seen plenty of people retire yeah. and then go,
2: I might just sit down and oh, watch
1: some TV and then that's it, they stay for the next 15 years. I know. And then it's all over.
2: Once you lose purpose though, you need purpose and you need Truly. to continue to find purpose in whatever that is.
1: And I've just, I've just had this conversation with, uh, you're in between two shrinks. So <laughs> I see, I see the, the, the psychologist in the morning today and I see the psychiatrist in the afternoon. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So the psychiatrist is like the mechanic. He makes sure everything's working right yeah. and the psychologist is the navigator.
2: Now, so. is this for entertainment or own, your own personal
1: issues? Oh, it's my own personal issues. <laughs> right. Oh, my word. I've just And here's the thing. I've just changed psychologists again. Yeah. So I had to give another history this morning, which is never any fun no. uh, when you have to go. So what's going on? Well, okay. You have to tell
2: them. Let me tell you my story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, Anyway, uh, so, but we were talking about purpose and she asked me about work today and I just had this thing. I thought the other day, I was like, right now, I, I'm i working like crazy, but I love it. Yeah. There's nothing I'm doing right now that I don't absolutely love. Yeah. There's nothing I'm doing that I don't drag myself out the door to do. Do you
2: know the only time I ever get, no, I never get the blues because I'm not wired that way, but the only time I feel a bit, oh, is when I'm not busy. I right. love the... Stimulation of just Mm. moving and thinking and active and, you know, and and actual fact, there's danger of that. Is that with the internet and the this technology, you can fulfil that drug pretty quickly so you don't actually have so i'm actually luckily i'm doing um i'm becoming a yoga i'm starting to be a yoga teacher oh fantastic yeah so that's actually helping me that's a lot of hours too (laughs) isn't it it is so that's because i fill my mind with more things but it's actually really reminding me about mindfulness and relaxing and and pranayamas and meditation and and i'm certainly that certainly lacks in my life so right kind of
1: were you that kind of kid
2: I'm sure they would have given me a drug back then if there was a sign for Oh, I, really? I, but I think that – but then again, is that, is that a problem or is that just I'm an active person? Yeah. A person that is active and wants to – what's next and so?
1: I think for me it's, a, it's the fine line of – because I was answering this questionnaire today about, um, you know, what are the symptoms of what's going on with my, with my head? And part of it was like, do you find yourself, you know, super creative sometimes, and you find yourself coming up with heaps of ideas? Yeah, I do actually. But some of those ideas have been really good. (laughs) Some of those ideas have paid a mortgage, you know. Yeah, that's right. Um, But I understand that there's, I think there's a limit to you know how the upper end of that is. Like, yeah, I'm gonna, it's gonna be bright. I'm gonna stack rice grains until we get to the moon. It's gonna be awesome. You know, you've got to. Put a limit on some of the stuff that you do. I think.
2: Yeah, I know. But then sometimes, isn't the it's where people get extraordinary, or where they where people think that you're mad, is where real genius or real great ideas yeah. think the outside the square. Isn't that where that comes from? Possibly, possibly. Did you grow up in Adelaide? Is that where it's set? No, Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah, I'm a real you know, like suburban, suburban Melbourne. Like, Red brick. No, green weatherboard. Oh yeah, like you know. So for,
1: okay, right, right.
2: Like we're talking, yeah. You know, we, it was actually um, Knoxville, and it was actually a big orchard that they redeveloped, and it was you know um, dirt roads. I mean, I really remember the clip clop of the horses with the milk bar, the milk being delivered by the horse.
1: You are like four years older than me. What are you talking about?
2: Well, it was real, It was it was even though it's Knoxville, it's like it's not that far away from the CBD. It's like thirty kilometers. Back then, it was. The it might as well have been in the middle of the thing. but. Ah. But if you think about it, right? If you think about cost of goods and actually uh, the business side of a horse and milk, the horse free, runs down, right? The horse continues to walk down the street, and you just the guy just moves the milk. I reckon it's a good idea. I'm even in now. Horses, street, <laughs> should happen. Less labour.
1: <laughs> it costs a lot of money to keep, though.
2: Oh, I know the beautiful it's animals. Got don't. to
1: put a lot of feed into them.
2: I know, but they are beautiful animals. Bit of grass. It's a lawn. Eat it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get, I get where you're coming from.
2: Bicycles, maybe. Bicycles. Then you just got one cost once. Yeah, they do poo though, so they do sort of, sort yeah, of yeah. clean up after them. There is there
1: that, is also that is you that. throw it on the front yard. Yeah. So really, clip clop of horses with the milkman I know. can't make any milo there's no milk.
2: No, and we septic tank. We used to have these septic tank with these bugs in them to eat the yeah you know, uh-huh. stuff. And um, actually there was this one part of the garden where obviously the septic went and it just had the best trees. But you just go, should I eat the fruit from that tree? (laughs) Do I, should I remember? That is the classic recycling, isn't it? Oh, look, I'm sure that
1: by the time it becomes the fruit, it's going to be fine.
2: You'd think so, would you?
1: I mean, what does what are trees mm-hmm. grow anyway? They grow on the dead bugs and dead everything. Dead
2: animals and people. And yeah. yeah and I suppose they do. But no, so it was, yeah, tiny. I mean, there was four kids. I shared a bedroom with my three sisters or two sisters, so the three of us in the room. Wow.
1: What number was, are you? I'm
2: last. I'm, oh, a, I'm the youngest. I'm of two of four. Ah, have you got those issues? Well, yeah, I do. Oh, there you go.
1: Do you have those issues?
2: Oh, the the free spirit, think yeah. you can do everything, younger child. Totally. Resentment
1: from the older ones going, we
2: built the road and you
1: get to walk down it.
2: Yep, yep, <laughs> get that, get that. Yeah, Yeah.
1: totally. Yeah. <laughs> what did your folks do?
2: Uh, Mum stayed home, 50s housewife. Uh, Total 50s housewife, which is hysterical because you actually it's interesting when you get older and you're sort of at that age. You know, my grandmother was a cleaner and... So she, And she was in the war, so, she was, so it was all about, you know, that era. And, you know, there was no such thing as a female boss. Like, it just didn't happen. You know, In actual fact, women weren't even allowed to work if they were married. So it was a totally different era. And so mum was brought up in the 50s housewives where, you know, there was that booklet that actually came out, I That's think, wrong. in 1955 that said, you know, you've got to make sure that I'm pretty for my husband to come home. Yeah. I need to be rested so I can actually give him all the love and attention. I mean, seriously, as if. <laughs> That's not going to happen in my household. But, but the, so my mum sort of said, basically, you know, if you, you know, if you're not married and have your first child by 21, mate, you are. It is all over it's over you. Yeah, spinster. Yeah, no, done, dusted. Yeah. And she did say to me, and I know that it, she said you need to be, I know it's a saying, but she did tell me, she said you need to be a you know, chef in the kitchen, a maid in the laundry, and a whore in the bedroom. And my poor husband didn't get any of it. Didn't get <laughs> eat, eat, how old were you eat, 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 when your processed, mother processed said that? that? I think she was – I was about, you know, teens. And I was going, no, I just want to travel around the you world. You were teens. Teens. I think it was teens. That was my – I think so. – and then she also – about the sexual education she gave me was, if I have sex before I'm married, no one will want me. So, yes, yeah, so that pretty, pretty much was a massive disappointment for my whole mother. <laughs>
1: okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, so – all right. So you, your older sisters yep. all – did they start to explore the world a bit?
2: No. No, no, no. I was that classic, you know, younger, younger kid where – they were so good. My two sisters were such good – you know, they were good students. They were polite. And then every teacher that had them and they had me was like, I was just a bit of disappointment because oh. I obviously wasn't as polite and sweet and nice as my yeah. two sisters. Who, you know, but they weren't travellers. Um, so I was the one that, you know, at 21, just put a backpack on my back and said I'm going for three months and I came back seven years later uh, with a child.
1: Yeah. Well, okay, so how did you – because, I, I, you know, I'm interested because I, I grew up in Brisbane and, you know, you can't be what you can't see and I didn't know anyone who travelled anywhere no. until I was uh, 20 and yep. my mates started to do it. And even only then I was like, oh, you can do that. You can go overseas. I didn't know. Well,
2: you know how that's actually a really interesting saying, you can't be what you can't no. see because... People said, well, did you do university? And I said, well, no one was doing university. You know, my school only went to year 11. I went to a tech school so I can build a shelf and weld materials together. But, I, but no one goes to university. So it wasn't even a consideration to do that. It was literally finish school, get a job. I finished school on the Friday and then started on the Monday with work. Like, that's just what you did. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you go, if you don't think that travelling is an option. I don't even know because no one around me went overseas. So I don't even know where that
1: idea came came from.
2: It was just that feeling of adventure. Yeah. Like it was the, okay, how am I going to get there? Did you
1: get that a bit when you went into Melbourne? Like, oh, here we are.
2: When I went to Melbourne? Yeah, yeah. In the city? Yeah. um, No, not really. I think it was, there was just, I think in life, I just thought there would be more. Yeah. And there was, and like back then, right, there was no internet. There was no mobile phones. There was no, you know, there's the only way of communication was either standing in a queue at a shop where there was a phone or letters. And by the time I wrote a letter, Hey, I was in another country by the time my parents got it. So Mm. it's a complete. in some respects as a parent, it's sometimes easier because if it's out of sight, you're not worried about some of the stuff you get up to when you're overseas. It's
1: extraordinary to even think my, my ex-wife's big sisters traveled they're Israeli and, you know, Israelis get as far away as they can after the military. <laughs> um, my wife's big sisters traveled all through South America and then Europe and et cetera. They had a code where they would call their mum on a reverse charge phone call. The operator would call her mum. Mum would pick up, say, do you accept the charges from blah, 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 blah in Argentina? No, no, I don't. <laughs> Hang up. She's fine. She's safe. They know she's safe.
2: Nice. That's yeah. what, That
1: was their code? Yeah, great. Once every month. Now, could you even possibly imagine a 19, 20, 21-year-old girl travelling by herself in South America now, what her parents would think if she didn't make at least some sort of contact every yeah. day?
2: I know. You'd freak. But you know the other thing, though, is because my mum and dad weren't travellers – they never even contemplated the potential dangers that a young, a young girl, I was young and dumb. Like I am here today through luck, not through wisdom. And I'm sure all of us can think back, think back at our, some of the stuff we've done and gone, how the hell are we here? And thank God there's no internet to prove that, or Facebook to prove we did anything (laughs) wrong back then. But no, it was just um, you know some of the. Th- I mean, I had no idea, and you know, I was wearing short shorts and you know going down and going to the pub and sorting it out, and you get yourself to all sorts of pickles, which you've got to use every single skill that you didn't even know you had to get out of. Yeah, it's um no, it's a- What
1: was so you you saved up enough money to go? Where did you go first?
2: Our uh, first thing I did was Camp America. So
1: when- oh, you were a counselor. I was a,
2: can- ah. a counselor. So I did that in America for three months. Which state? Uh, San Francisco. So I worked for the San Francisco right. Girl Scouts.
1: Wow. Northern yes, California.
2: So I learned a whole lot of songs and how to make candles and told people about fauna and fauna, you know and ferns and fauna and, and. So
1: your first day out of Australia ever was in Northern California.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I went there and then you know but literally cruised up and down the California coast and went and then hiked the Grand Canyon and. Then made my way back to England and got myself a job as a nanny in, in, in a place that didn't speak any English. And, right, and um, so I was, and then I, thought, I don't know if the kids liked me or not because I couldn't talk to me.
1: Working, just getting the visas sorted on the road.
2: Yeah, you just yeah, you just work it out. So, but it was a problem because I was an Australian passport and didn't have any other passports. So it was, you know, you had to kind of find out where you could work because visas weren't that easy. So yeah. I ended up landed in, um, I was in Denmark, and then I heard that you could work selling timeshare in Portugal. So. Flew to Portugal, and so here I was on the street going, "Come in, have a look at this hotel. You might like it." You know, and so yeah, so that was my so I British so, tourist. So yeah, so yeah, I, yeah so really apologise to anyone who's been accosted by this young Australian in in um, Tenerife, Spain. So it was Tenerife, Spain first, and then we caught, and then I was with a really dodgy girlfriend. <laughs> who was was getting involved with um, the police at the time. And it was like, so, for example, it's, it might be a long story. But I'll, I'll I would sh- watch those what podcasts are for. Right. They're four long I'll stories, you know. Right, so basically it was not legal to do time sh- to sell timeshare on the streets. So, but it was a scam. It was re- completely corrupt in Tenerife, Spain. So they basically, the police stopped you. You paid your, I don't know, 50 bucks or whatever it was they give you a receipt you give it back to the account the the guy and then he reimburses you right that's how it was right so it wasn't illegal it was just a scam anyway so this girlfriend of mine she actually bought a well, got this whole lot of tickets off this off this um, security guy and so she then um got all the got all the refunds for it and then spent all the money so she had no money to give the policeman back now this is a place where um 50 english lads went up into the middle of the mountains went to a pub a fight broke out, and basically the reports were anyone coming from this particular place in the mountains to Playas de las Americas, which was where we were, would go straight to jail. So they had they actually caught because a lot of them were English lads, so they could avoid it. A lot of them, but they caught twenty five English guys. One of them was only fourteen, and they were in jail for three months without a trial. Wow. And I remember going to the jail to see them, and it was, you know, it was. Well, a, did you
1: know any of them? Yeah, knew
2: them all. They were all, oh, right. they sort of part of our part of our gang. Luckily, it was a boys' trip, and they, um, yeah. So it was, it wasn't a place that you want to get into trouble.
1: Anywhere you can buy cops is oh my so dangerous. And like it? they had,
2: they had. I mean, there was a night when the guy came in. To, uh, anyway, there was all sorts of bad stuff in this place. Anyway, so she ran out of money because I lived with her. I was sort of caught up by being association so we actually escaped on a um it literally was an escape in the middle of the night one night on a on a catamaran to portugal and that's how we end up in portugal so it's, but it's like you know you're 21 and you go right okay let's get, let's get out of here <laughs> who's
1: catamaran
2: oh i don't know we did know some guy some person's catamaran that we sort of did a deal the day before and he was going to portugal and we said i oh, here's a couple hundred bucks can we come <laughs> So, yeah, but, you know, you get yourself into these pickles. And, look, seriously, if this guy, he could do anything. He, he, he came over to my house once and he was rolling a joint. And, you know, this is not a place where you have dope either. And I said, look, I'm really uncomfortable about this. And he said, that's all right. If someone breaks in, I'll say it's yours. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> this isn't. We were offered money to take money across borders and all. And it's like, it like, whoa. So, yeah, that was um, – so I got out of that one just.
1: I wonder what parallels there are to first year business school in that trip.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Problem solving. <laughs> yeah. Problem solving. How do you get out of it?
1: Relationship management. Yeah. Crisis management. Yeah.
2: Fight or flight. Fight or flight.
1: <laughs> it's all there. All of them. Boy. Uh, making alliances. Negotiations. It's yep. all there.
2: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, the stakes are pretty high. Yeah, negotiating your way out of all sorts of situations. Oh, man. Negotiation.
1: Wow. So – Because I don't know if people kind of do that kind of that sort of stuff anymore. We talk about, you know, a time before the internet where you could not just Google where to stay. Yeah. You know, you're lucky if there was a Lonely Planet book about that country.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. You just kind of had to go there and say, no, habla espanol, lo siento, Uh, uh, como uh, la (laughs) genina. You know, whatever. You have to just kind of make your way around and, and just go from place to place not really telling anyone, just picking up people along the way. And you know, I guess now with things like Facebook and stuff, you can go, hey, I'm going to be in Portugal. Mm. Who wants to come and join me? May the 6th, come and join me.
2: It's, it is interesting though because it was a life of, a period of my life where I had never had a plan of where I was going. It was literally meeting someone randomly and then they're going, we're going here, oh, we'll come. Like it was the first time in my life you actually genuinely looked, let life take you on a journey uh-huh. instead of planning it. And that was, for I think, for being young and young and free, it was a, a nice way to live for a very short period of time. Yeah. Yes, but I probably wouldn't recommend it to my children.
1: <laughs> You've got kids who are older, than you, older now than you were then.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, no, 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 in Australia. Stay here. <laughs> don't go overseas. There's nothing to see. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know if the world's
1: any less dangerous than it was then. Do
2: you know I saw an interview of a guy who um, travelled around. He, he literally, it was a, he was cycling around the world. And he said a really great comment because he went to Iran, Iraq and all these places where you think that you wouldn't survive two seconds in. He said, you know what, fundamentally, most people are good people. And that, I think, is absolutely true. I think we, we hear on TV and we see things that you go, wow, you know, the world is a terrible place, but we're seeing the one percenters. I think majority, there's people out there that will help you.
1: Yeah, and you found that along the way?
2: Yeah, yeah, did, yeah. mostly.
1: Like what, was the, what was the moment where you are like, wow, that was lucky? Uh,
2: I was in, um, I arrived in Antibes in the south of France and I was hitchhiking because I was, again, young and dumb and this guy picked me up and he said he was going to the Cannes Film Festival but he, he, he did soft porn. And I asked him, and I was like, "Whoa, okay, this is which is kind
1: point. of hard to believe at this point." But yes, there was a time when there was porn where you didn't see genital penetration; it Appar- actually happened.
2: Apparently, so yeah. I remember being in the car with him, obviously just meeting because he was hitchhiking. And I asked him to drop me off at the the key, the main part, the main part of the port, and he kept going. And I thought, "Whoa, I'm, okay. in, tr- I'm in trouble here. I'm yeah. in a bit of trouble here." So I sort of, so obviously, I sort of went, "Okay, let's just play along." And so he said, "Oh, look." I wouldn't mind you being in this movie and I thought okay I've got to get out of this one this is yes, okay what am I going to do and I said sure sure let, yeah that sounds great it's something I've always wanted to be in the movies right so he said look let's stop at this beach and we'll yeah it was daylight which is good and um we'll um yeah you know, let me just see make sure that you're the right sort of fit and stuff I thought okay just just go with it so went to the beach and um so didn't you know just sort of you know stood up and had a look And I said yeah look I am so keen I'd really like to do it can I meet you at the the captanery the next day and da, 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 and obviously didn't turn up and eventually got myself out of it. But it was one of those ones in your head you're going, oh Janine, you've um, crossed the line here and you're in trouble. You've got to really try and play, play a game very carefully yeah. because it could end badly. And so there was a couple of times that that happened. I remember the other time was in, back in Tenerife where I woke up and I left the door open for my girlfriend and the security guard was in there and he was about to undo his belt. And this guy was, if he was casting him for a horror movie, they casted him beautifully. And he had a bat and he had guns, he had handcuffs because he was the security guard. And, um, you know, and I wasn't wearing anything. It was hot and just a sheet. And it was one of those, you know, it was interesting enough, though, when I when I saw him, my reaction was fury. It wasn't fear. Like, you know, had, so I actually got up and said, yelled at him and he actually, surprisingly, I don't because he couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak Spanish, and he, um, he left. And then I, you know, reported him the next day. But it was... It was only the next day that I actually realized, my God, that could have, with his little pinky, he could have done anything he wanted to me. And so quite often, as I said earlier, I think we, I'm here and a lot of us are here because of pure luck than any any form of intelligence or wisdom.
1: Sorry, I've just got chills from uh... visioning, waking up and seeing, because as a man traveling, you're not well, it might happen, but
2: less likely.
1: Less likely yeah. to happen
2: yeah. to
1: wake up and find a giant of a you know hordor kind of bloke standing in the room. Yeah. And
2: he was that. That's exactly yeah. what he was. Yeah.
1: But as a woman travelling alone, and
2: and you can't do anything. What well, What could you yeah. do if he wanted to go that next step? There was nothing that I could have done to stop him. Big, burly bloke, and it yeah. was. And why he stopped, no idea to this day. But um, yeah, but yeah, and that's why you know, and you know, there was no, there was no mobile phone I could pick up. There was no, you know, you just you're on your own and you suck it up, sunshine, and off you go.
1: God damn, that's bloody terrifying. And did you made your way to London in the end? Is that where you?
2: Um, well, then I actually found myself on, you know, completely broken in the south of France. So I already cashed my ticket home and uh-huh. had a couple of thousand dollars worth of credit card debt.
1: Hang on, so you cashed your ticket home? Yeah,
2: because I needed money.
1: <laughs> okay, I know what'll help. I'll sell my only way to get out of here.
2: That'll work. Yeah, and it's funny you just because when you're 21, you know it'll work out. I don't know why you think it's that hormone that hasn't quite developed in your brain properly, right? <laughs> It's now fully developed, so, you know, would never yeah. do it now. And um, so I had no money, but I ended up here. I heard about a job in a place called um, Villeneuve-le-Bay in the south of France. And so I actually made my way down there and basically told the guy all this, all this experience I had on yachts in Melbourne because, you know, Melbourne's such a big yachting industry. It
1: really is. Super yacht marinas everywhere.
2: And, um, and I got my job on this boat and six weeks later David Bowie bought it. Ah. So, yeah, worked for him for a couple of years. So so fun, suddenly my you know, money issues and accommodation issues were gone and I uh, was, was hanging out with Mick Jagger and, you know, <laughs> Jerry Hall and Robin Williams for a little while. <laughs> so it was quite surreal actually.
1: Okay. Uh, back then, do you sign NDAs or is it just unspoken that you just don't talk about what happens on the boat?
2: You know what? No one told us not to but for me I was like I have – I, I'm in a his world, and would I like anyone to? So I was really conscious. I think there's I've got one photo in my album of him, right in the thing, because I was like, and I saw how he was hassled when he went places, and I saw how he was mobbed, and I just went, if he can't in his own home have peace from that, where can you? So I was really conscious of of not stepping over that line, yeah. and he was such a lovely man that. You just – and he was – and we were so part of his gang. Like, even though, you know, hey, guess who cleaned the toilet? It was me. But even though you were the, you know, the stewardess that was, you know, serving meals and that sort of stuff, if he was off the boat having a party, we'd all come. Like, so he was very much going, you know, it was very egalitarianism, you know, we're in it together and, you know. So so he was a really lovely man.
1: Tiny, right?
2: Oh, not that tiny. I mean, Jagger was taller. But, yeah, he was taller than me. I never thought of him as short. Right. So, no, it wasn't that tiny. He did have those double, his um, different coloured eyes. Yeah. Which actually he, um, I met his, his best mate who was a gorgeous guy and he told me that he got them when actually, when they were in school, those two had a fight together and it was actually a, a damaged retina that damaged them, the reason the, his eyes were different because it was a fight at school
1: he wasn't born that way?
2: No, he wasn't born that way. It was sort of fine. Wow.
1: Were you sad when he passed away?
2: Yeah, you know, it was was interesting because I had a – there was a guy called David Putnam who is a producer of a film called uh, Midnight Express and The Killing Fields, right? Extraordinary producer. And I became quite good friends with him by meeting him through working on the boat. And he actually got me a job when I came back to Melbourne with Village Roadshow and he we kept in contact over the years and he always sort of kept david up to breast that yeah you know, this that young aussie stewardess was on your boat she's now doing this she's doing out in this and and i always thought that next, his next trip to australia that i'd catch up with david and and david the both the, the two davids and yeah it never happened so um yeah but it was sort of like you know obviously i you know it was uh, it was two years and there was many many years between then so you know, certainly not pretending that we were, we were close yeah. but it was that um, yeah, it was sort of really sad because he was he was one of the good guys. Yeah. yeah. What's that lifestyle like? Do you know for, for someone who's come from the burbs, the, the thing that made me gave me an aha moment was money, success and fame doesn't create happiness. So we had, you know, all sorts of people on board from, you know, because he rented it out as well to help fund fund the cost of the boat because they're very expensive to run. And, you know, had had people like Charles Saatchi on board from Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising. And, and, you know, he wasn't that happy. And then you had, you know, other people who were, yeah, super rich, but they had this great family connection. And you saw where happiness and joy came from. And so from... Me, who grew up with a mother who loved movie stars and was a you know, real star, you know, it's all about stars and they're all on pedestals, you know, for me it was like, um, wow, actually, they're just people and they like to play Scrabble and they like to swim and they, they um, have their own fears and they get their divorces and they have the same challenge, challenge with their children as anyone else does. And, and so it actually uh, opened my uh, – even from a young age, opened my eyes out that there is assholes who are rich and there's assholes who are poor <laughs> and there's lovely people – On on the reverse side of that, you know. So so I think people are people. And so that was a really good lesson for a young girl to sort of take people off their pedestals and go, they're just people. Did
1: it it. change your attitude to the acquisition of money?
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
2: Yeah, I think, I think you always imagine that things are better if you're more wealthy or things are better on that side of the fence or you know, better you know, we, well, sitting here with a beautiful view. You, clearly you are more happier than someone that hasn't got a view. But it's – that's so – Past when, a certain point,
1: like up to a point, from, up to subsistence, I'm, I can feed and clothe and keep safe yeah. and educate yeah. and take care of, in a health way, all of my family. Correct. Beyond that.
2: Beyond that though, that, and I think that that's the key, it's, it's financial freedom. Hmm. So it's having enough financial behind you to be able to not have to work if you don't have to, or not have to work in a job you don't want to. Hmm. So for me, it's not, a, it's not having a billion dollars or a million dollars, it's actually having enough to be able to do what I want. Hmm. And I think that is where the freedom comes from. I think that sometimes people continue to, they get to a certain point and they, and they don't know wins enough and it's actually the number that is the important thing where for me success is having my kids around me and they're all happy you know success is having a husband that i, I actually really dig i mean i'm more successful because i've chose a husband a good a, a good husband than um than that i've got some money in the bank because that's where my happiness comes from my happiness comes from holding his hand walking down the beach not from going to buy a new jacket
1: Versus thing we're sold, the idea that the new jacket is what's going to make you happy.
2: I know, but it's not – and then look, and funnily enough, when I actually eventually came back to Australia after my you know, gallivanting gal- around the world, I ended up landing a job as a publicist. So then it was – then I was doing um, – I was touring for a movie company. So suddenly I was touring people like, you know, Patrick Swayze and Patrick Stewart and Robin Williams again and then, um, you know, Magda Shabansky and Alicia Silverstone and Reese Witherspoon and all of these actors actors and actresses. And you're there with them 24-7 because you're t- the one taking around. And that's, you also then find out that, God, you know, that industry of the acting world, it's a whole world of rejection. You just, every day, you're not big enough, fat enough, good enough, short enough, old enough. It's that whole world of, you know, and I, so I remember with, I was it with David Caruso. Do you remember David Caruso? Yeah,
1: yeah, the right. guy from, uh, uh,
2: CSI. CSI, yeah, yeah. New York. Anyway, he was in the car he just left um, that uh, a Miami, uh, mm. another cop show, show that was really successful in America and he did a movie called Jade and I was promoting it for this movie. And he was going on and on about, you know, it's not fair, I'm a better actor than him and why is he getting the parts and da-da-da. And i sitting there one going, mate, which is mad. But two going, wow, there's a hell of a lot of insecurity that comes in this in the world, and so where you go, wow! I wish I was a movie actor or it It's not what people think. It's not as yeah. fun as what people think. And like seeing David Bowie not being able to walk down the street and sit at a cafe and have a coffee without ten people coming up to him, you know, is that freedom? Is that happiness? Is that success? I don't know.
1: Defining success is, I think, a very important thing for people. Um, sometimes, uh, like younger people in history, will come over and sit on the couch, we'll sit on the couch, we'll talk about, you know, what's going on and they sit there and they go, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, yes, but what does success look like? Oh, I just want to have the, yes, but what does success look like? What does it look like? Name it, name it, name it, name mm. it. If you can't name it, like I always using the analogy all the time, you're not going to get in your car and just start driving.
2: Mm.
1: You're going to want to know where you're going to end up.
2: But like, when well, you think about it though, you, you, when, you, when I was a kid, success for me was getting into the rep team for netball. Success team was, once I was in the team, was winning the grand final. So it's, it's interesting what success means to me yeah. there now. You know, success for me is all of my kids choosing the right partner and being happy for their life. That's success. You know? Yeah. You know, so success is getting my teenagers through their, their harder times yeah. and making sure that they're, you're particularly men who, you know, need to get to 27 because of that development of their brain, um, get them to 27 so they can make better decisions. You know? yeah. So it's all of that. Success is really about... Um, happiness within yourself really and and you don't realize that until you're older wing attack when you what
1: wing attack wing defense
2: i was gola goaler and defender oh. yeah it wasn't bad
1: it yeah was okay. Gigi's uh ga and uh, gd yeah. yeah i was i was yeah like yeah.
2: GD, yeah. yeah
1: yeah she yeah. just uh, she just started she's gone from water polo to uh netball it's
2: good it's more aggressive than people think
1: it's mate netball. i used to play mixed netball yeah roughest game i've ever played yeah Oh my god!
2: Yeah, I played mixed netball. Too.
1: Those girls, are, I used to play net, net, mixed netball with.
2: Oh, <laughs> How'd you go? Did you win?
1: <laughs> and if we didn't, the refs heard about it. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, they they tend to be a bit noisy. The boys about.
1: Yeah, I'm referring to a uh, a radio guy, because your your husband is a, uh, a a legend in our industry.
2: Yes. Yeah. No. Did he... you know that when you met him? Oh look, he was. Like Jeff is the sort that if someone says I used to work with Jeff, I hold my breath a bit because it's like he was the biggest prick he's ever come across, <laughs> or he was the most inspirational person. <laughs> Depends on if he fired them. <laughs> so he was because he was so driven on on success and outcome, and yeah. and he under- he had a real gift in radio to be able to like you know you look at Car- Jackie and Carl right. You know, Jeff sort of put those guys together. You know, Hamish and Andy, he gave them their first break. You know, so there's a lot of the people even today that, you know, Jeff has certainly gone, yep, there's something in you. I'm going to, you know, certainly.
1: Craig Bruce was sitting in that chair last week saying exactly the same thing. Yeah. He's only where he is because Jeff said, if you want to do it, I'll back you.
2: Yeah. And the thing is with Jeff, he gets people, he's really honest. Like, you won't die wondering what Jeff's thinking. Yeah. yeah. And so he's, he's sort of like, um, He's sort of a wi- Viking warrior. If you're at war, you'd want to be in his team. Right. Because he would be able to go, we're going this way. It might be over the cliff, but he'll say with such conviction, everyone will follow him. Did
1: you recognise that in him when you met him?
2: Yeah, I found, yeah, found him. Uh, like, he was, he, was a bit of a, he was a bit of a tosser when I first met him. I would kind of sort him out a little bit. You know, he sort of went to parties like a break of glass. Control, you're like, really? That's you
1: break a glass yeah. at a party?
2: Yeah, because, you know, that's real men. And yeah, so he was, and so he was, but it was radio in the you know in those era it was tough, it was you know rate or die, and you know yeah. but he did do one thing like it was but he used to read all the things on war, but he did a um we've we got time for a story at this oh
1: yeah, that's right? right, I remember when I started it was a lot of um yeah we don't it's not mandatory, but we'd really like you to read Thick Face Black Heart. Oh, uh, I love that book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't recommend, you know, it's not, but here's Sun Tzu's Out of War, just in case you wanted to read it. I'm like, I'm the Mid Dawn announcer. <laughs> what do you want me to do?
2: <laughs> and then you read those books, you go, Really? Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Thick Face Black Heart is all about, all about manipulation and it, it's quite evil. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but they were right into that in their mid 90s. Yeah, yeah right I know. Right into yeah,
2: it. Yeah, I know. Well, one time, you know, Sean Pickwell. Yeah,
1: Sean Pigwell. Yeah, it's an
2: name the bunch. So, and him and Jeff actually, he um they were they were it was it was before Triple M actually bought, um, Today's Show before the Duopoly. Before that, yeah,
1: I I arrived six weeks before the Duopoly oh, did happened.
2: You? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, like like they. Triple M hated them and probably rightly so, right? And so, anyway, the, the Triple M was about to launch this big promotion and they had all the um, advertising executives down and it was all going to be this thing. Sean and Jeff went to the Channel 9 um, makeup artists and they disguised them as you know, radio executives. So, they went into the, into the um, Triple M thing, took their ideas, went back to the studio giggling like two girls, did the whole campaign that they were going to do and launched it before them. They were so naughty. Wow. That was so naughty. You
1: just can't do that kind of stuff <laughs> you can't, anymore.
2: You can't. Like they did yeah. even, um, you know, I think Guy Dobson at one point actually went and put a big poster again before they took over about you know how great Ausdair was on the Triple M war. I mean, it was like it was really like it is, you know, how are we it going was. to
1: beat them? I don't know if there's any uh, markets where you can still have a radio war. I think I was involved in maybe one of the last ones um, I, know, I guess in Brisbane, we're trying to have one at the moment, which is kind of fun. Um, I was involved in one between SAFM and 5AA. Oh, okay. Uh, or 5AD. Yeah, yeah. 5AD. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, uh, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Um, I'll tell you off air. Okay. But it was it was sinister. <laughs> it was sinister what went down. But
2: it seems like it was even harsher than the TV world. They seem to be really like... I, don't, I think that's
1: the thing, Is radio is so nimble... Radio, you can do something like that. Yeah, you can. Like Channel 7 couldn't steal Channel 9's major promo tactic for the next survey, turn it around and do it within six days. No, no, no. But in radio, you can. Yeah,
2: that's right because it's live, it's instant, it's yeah. Yeah, there's nowhere to hide, there's...
1: Yeah. yeah do, you, do you remember like what it was like? Because, you know, you've, you've got a successful marriage, you've been married for a long time. I'd, I'm on my second run of the title what, what did, you, did you know when you met him? I mean, pe- people always like to hear about how, you know, great relationships work.
2: Yeah. Look, it was a really interesting one. I was 29 and he was 29. And we met because I, I was working a publicist and I had um, – jo- uh, what was it?
1: So you just come back from overseas? Just
2: come back. i have been out back, back for – and then I went back to seeing – anyway. So i have been back a little while, but not too mm. long.
1: But you said you came back with a kid.
2: Yeah, I did. All I right. Did. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, luggage. No, that's John, all right. Yeah. Audrey had a kid, yeah, no, that's fine. So we had so we I met Jeff through I was doing a film called Rob Rowe, which I think Rob Roy, which mm-hmm. had John Hurt in it. And um, John Hurt was down with the producer Michael Caton, I think he's, the producer's name was. So I was trying to get some some gigs for for these guys. And the girl I took over the role was a girl called Rachel Pell, who actually was in radio for many years, and then she eventually went to um, work for Channel Seven Publicity. Anyway, so she knew Jeff and Jeff said "On." Oh, About 30, you need to, you need to get a wife. Go find me one, Rachel. (laughs) And um, so so through work and through Rachel, we actually met. And, you know, he was quite shallow and went, oh, she's wearing country road, I like a 501 girl, right? So deep and meaningful he was. And I kind of went, oh, you know, he's all right, but he's a, bit, you know, he's a bit of a wanker. And so anyway, so that was all fine. We met once and then, nothing then. And then then he, we met again. And it was, um, we went to Skuzumia in, in um, South Bank. And I actually went, wow, I actually really like this guy. And it was from that date. We actually spent every single day. We saw each other for six months. Every single day. There Aww. was just and we were um, we were living together in eight, in six weeks. Uh, we were married in eight months. Great. And I was pregnant with our next child at 12 months and it was and sort of like you know we sort of did everything in the honeymoon period so we yeah, so it was quite exciting but but it was when I first kissed him I know this sounds weird but the earth did move mm. it was the I don't know if it's a chemical reaction or and so when you know it was just known mm. and you know Jeff and I yeah we we're 29 we'd kissed a few frogs so, if you the,
1: had a baby, you might have at least, yeah, least one. At
2: least one, <laughs> and um, no, it really was the you know the earth moved, and, yeah. you, know, and, um, and you know you know Jeff he's he was a yeah you know, he's a he's an in, he's a very strong character, yeah. and uh, but yeah, we just sort of how how old was the kid at the time? To, uh, three,
1: three. So because yeah. I, I came into a relationship with a woman who uh, Gigi was ten. Yes, when I turned up. Oh, nice. because um, some guys think oh, I, I don't want to be, she's got a kid, I'm not, don't want to be a part That's of it. It's baggage,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: But I don't know if Jeff feels this way, but I can't, I couldn't think of anything more rewarding. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Like, it's a bit, Your dad essentially dating two women. Yeah. Yeah, only one of them you can, you know, speak to like an adult. Yeah. But you do have to satisfy two personalities and yeah. try to make two different people feel okay. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. to the difference between being with someone that has a kid and someone that doesn't have a kid is, it's, it's almost like a third gender,
2: yeah. to be and, honest. And and the thing is you are not, to, you're not just taking the wife. There is, yeah, there is other things to consider. Yeah. Right? Well, Jeff, when he asked me to marry him, he actually had a ring for me and a ring for Samuel. And he was, you know, and Samuel was, as I said, three. So he was, and so Samuel really um, hasn't, doesn't know anyone else but Jeff is his father. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, a great guy is is his sperm donor in in France, you know, my fun in France. And But he didn't really want to have anything to do with the child, which was perfect for me because I didn't want him to have anything because I wanted to be a bit mm-hmm. of a control freak. I wanted it to be, you want to go to Australia and he's still in England. Um, so it, there was a, a simplicity that came with that too because it wasn't a, Another mm. piece of the pie. yeah, yeah but um, but no, he you know Samuel just looks at Jeff and it's he's his dad and calls that's him what dad. It is. Yeah, calls him dad. Calls wow. him dad since he's three, and and you know it's been it's been really lovely for him, and you know he's good. And Samuel's a free spirit. I mean, he's a hippie in the middle of um, in the middle of tabulum in um, near <laughs> 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 So, You know, all these moving parts in your life. It's fun, isn't it? You don't well, have a sense of humour in life. Uh, don't you? So.
1: By the time, so you, because you say you didn't go to university, but the education you got from your time in, you know, the Mediterranean, which is mostly where it was.
2: Around, uh, you kept Mediterranean Caribbean, and the Caribbean. And the
1: Caribbean. Oh, yeah. of course. Yes. Did you ever go into uh, Mystique?
2: Yeah, that's where we were, by space. That's you were where based. You were based in Mystique? Yeah. I've been there. With Basil's Bar. Basil! Do you remember that bar? I don't know, Basil. Yeah. Yeah, and the, you have the guys driving, go, hey man, hey man, and he's smoking yeah. the joint as he's driving the car, you know. It's... Shit,
1: you were based in a mystique.
2: Didn't you like, didn't you like um, wow. that, that uh, in, in um, did you go to Antig- Antigua? No, no, I didn't. Ah, oh, there's this great bar at the top.
1: Yeah, Basil's to still there. Yeah. Yeah. It's right I was there, it's I was right there right like five here. years ago, though. So he might, as far as I know, he's still there.
2: Yeah. Well, that was, I and mean, when I was there, twenty odd, thirty years, or whatever, really long ago. So forever. So he's been there a long time. Yeah. But the, the how Mustique works is the people who own houses on the island own the island. Yeah. So it's yeah Mick, it's it's David, it's Tommy. Princess Margaret, it's Tommy. Yeah, it's all the yeah. <laughs> Princess Margaret. What's his her son's name? Her son, Princess Ma- Andrew. No, uh, Prince wrong. Princess Margaret's son was. I don't know. I'll come back to you Anyway, I did my um, diving course with him. Of course you did. Yeah, because I uh, can't remember his name, but I remember he's now a complete grown-up. But, yeah, so we, so I did um, my paddy diving certificate Yeah. with the prince.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting part of the world. And I was there Beautiful. when they unveiled a statue of the guy that founded it. Ah. The skinny bloke who – Oh, him. Yeah, the skinny <laughs> bloke with the big hat. No idea. Yeah, well, he's, he's the guy. i
2: someone
1: founded it. He, yeah, he's the guy who. Disgusted he was it. the one that went down to. With his father's money, his father said, go and find me an island. Make sure it's got water. And he went down and he bought Mystique. He said, great, has it got water? Nope. Um, but oh. he just basically turned it into this t- party zone by giving away land. So he gave Mick Jagger the land and he, really? gave, yeah, he gave them the land ah. to, to entice them and gave Princess Margaret the land. Smart. Yeah, yeah, and there's my my favourite story about that is uh, there was one time Princess Margaret was down there, um, with her new boyfriend or or something, and they, uh, paparazzi were were trying to follow her, and so what this guy did is he basically took one of the bulldozers that was there constructing something and just parked it across the runway, so they couldn't land.
2: Oh, nice! (laughs) Next problem. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, now beautiful. What were you doing there? I was on holiday. Why there? Because I mean, it's not exactly easy to get to either. Uh,
1: my ex-wife had been there before, right? Okay. And uh, friends of hers uh, went there twice a year, and so it was a end of year thing where everyone gathers together just after Thanksgiving, right? And so, uh, so yeah, we went there. Yeah. I was actually around Christmas, just after Christmas.
2: Yeah, because it's beautiful if you sort of cruising around there. I mean, it is beautiful, eye candy. I mean, it is yeah. just gorgeous. The blue water and the it is beautiful. yeah,
1: hell of a hell of a place. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, having Gigi in my life is really, really powerful because I grew up one of four boys went to an all-boys school. Pretty much my mates were all boys. The only woman I knew was my mum. And various girlfriends and fiancées and wives and ex-wives and now fiancées again across, along the way have basically said, uh, actually, and they've basically educated me. And I've had to learn a lot of things mm-hmm. around... Um, uh, feminism about, about these things. And, you know, that's just okay. It's just what I didn't know, but what I know now is very different. So I look at Gigi and I look at the world she's growing into. Yeah. yeah. All right. And I look at a young woman and I, and I think.
2: And she's 11, did you say?
1: 12. She just 12. turned 12. She just started high school. And, you know, I think about what all. You know, and I say this as well. Is I, she was my girlfriend's kid. She was fun. We'd dance around the living room. We'd make up songs together. We'd mm. sing frozen songs together. And then I woke up one day and I was like, I have to protect you. I have to provide for you. I have to look after you. I'll do anything to keep you safe. It just happened overnight like that. And now I look at the world that she's growing into and I see her. She's becoming a woman before my eyes. Mm. She can't see it as much as I can. Um, and I wonder, you know, as as someone that people look up to is as far as leadership and as far as making your way as a very, very successful entrepreneur but also by all outside factors, a very successful mother, you know, what what do you got for me? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mate, hang on for the ride. I'd yeah. say. look, it's it's interesting because you know I've got sons, three sons, and I know what they think about, and so and you know you remember when you were a teenager what you think about. It. And my there's
1: a boy who lives two floors down. He's never no. going to go to the beach with Gigi alone. <laughs> But the, nope. <laughs> but
2: the, the, I think the thing is... Uh, no, that's how I the No, saying. I totally get it. But I think the thing is you've just got to trust them. Yeah. You know? And I think that one of my sons said, because I said, I was trying to get into their head is girls and boys think differently. A boy kisses a girl, he goes, one. A girl kisses a boy, she goes, I think he likes me. So, and they, my boys don't, a lot mm-hmm. of boys just don't get it. Yeah. And you try and go, you have to respect them. And, and he said to me, you kind of respect girls who respect themselves. And so it's sort of the message for that is that boys will respect girls who respect themselves. And it's sometimes really difficult with peer pressure and it's difficult with all the things because their brain's not developed fully either. And they're coming into their world and there's hormones going everywhere and they want to fit in and it's difficult for them. But And some girls and boys just get it. And they've, they've sort of been here before on this earth and they just kind of get it. And others are a little bit more easily led. And so... The only thing we can do really is kind of manipulate as much as we can who they hang out with because that, that seems to be the biggest issue is who they hang out with. And But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just I'm here and keeping that door open and trying to keep that honesty factor going and not, being, not ever judging because I think the first time she tells you something that is really important to her it's how you judge that moment that she says that will dictate whether she ever opens her mouth to you again. Yeah, right. So even though in your head you're going, ah, right, externally you go, we all make mistakes. It's fine. I'm never. You know, if as long as you're honest to me, you'll never be into trouble. Like, and I'm here for you. Like we said to Oliver, like, yeah, you because know, he was going through that, um, you know, not always telling the truth. You know, wanted to go to parties and stuff. It's like, you know what? If you're ever in trouble, no matter what it is, you never be in trouble. Just call us. You know? mm. And the other thing we did was. We pay for your phone and I find my phone is on there at all times and it is turned on or you will lose your phone. And you can like it or you can worry about the privacy, but for us, our job is to keep you safe. And if by keeping you safe means that if 2 o'clock in the morning you're not at home, I can turn on my phone and know where you are, then I'm happy with that. So I think it's just also a little bit of the, you know, some people go, oh, I would never do that to my child for privacy. It's like it's our job to protect them. Yeah. So if they don't like it, tough, but they can start, get a job and pay for their own phone. So it's sort of those sort of trying to – but they, they go feral for a couple of years and there's a point where you just go – and not, this is not all kids, but there's a point where you just go, I don't like you because yeah. my worst enemy wouldn't talk to me like you do. And then they come out the other end. But I think if it's love, support, it's all you can do. Yeah.
1: What about – I mean, she's, what, eight years away from entering the workforce? You know, what kind of workforce do you think she'll enter? in Six, eight years from now – Look, what do you think I, it'll look like?
2: Do you know what I think It's really exciting for this era is that this era, and in some respects our own era, mm. is there's been years since we've had real hardship. You know, Mm. Australia sort of has skimmed through. Like you go to Spain right now, it's a 70% unemployment for under 25. You know, we've never had that. So Mm. you've got this youth that come through with this youthful exuberance of confidence that really they do think that they have no limitations and can do whatever they want, which is extraordinary and powerful, but also there's a long way to fall too when things don't work out. So, But I think that what's happening in there is... What they're finding is that it's not that hard to start a business with apps. It's not that hard to start a business with, with the things. So they're only limited by their own imagination. And look, starting a business is not for everyone. You know, there's something to be said to be able to go to work, go home, shut the door, and not have to even think about it again. Right? And so it's not necessarily the 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 euphoria for, for different people. It's just but if that's what you want to do, it's there for you. So I think it's an exciting time for the youth.
1: Yeah what about when you look at how much the workplace is changing and how much skills that are needed are changing? Yeah. When you look forward and you see, well, how old, how old is your youngest? A seven. Seven? Yeah. Crikey. So in 11 years from now.
2: Yeah, midlife crisis it was.
1: Yeah. 11 years from now. Yeah. That kid's going to be hitting uh, an economy that we don't even know what it would look like.
2: But, look, yeah, can you look at it? Um, we had records.
1: Yeah, we did. Right?
2: That industry yeah. does not even exist anymore, you yeah. know? We had a tape that we'd put in on a VCR, you yeah. know? Doesn't exist. Video stores don't exist. Yeah. So, where industries have fallen over, other industries replace them. Yeah. So, and that will continue. You know, like you know, there used to be a, a career of a horse driving a cart that had ice in it, and that was your fridge. It'll
1: take milk to your place.
2: Like that. Poor horse. Don't know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So there's all sort, and that will. So it's really being. You know, when you're choosing your subjects at school, is going all right. Well, let's think about what I'm trying to choose because. In actual fact, my son's doing digital and he knows that whatever he's studying now is going to be absolutely obsolete when he actually qualifies. Mm. But it's sort of that ability to sort of keep agile and keep learning. I mean, like, school is, is one element of learning. You know, my school, my education for business and life was living and my education in business was doing business and learning as quick as I can. So just because your education you know, ended or started with university or not doesn't mean you have success. Really, the success comes with what you finding your passion and driving towards it. And that's what you want with your kids. You want them to find what they love and to do it. Yeah.
1: It's uh, three o'clock. When do you have to go? I have no idea. Oh, you need to look at your...
2: My sheet. Your sheet? Because I need to look at the sheet before it. Uh, I think the um, do, 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 uh, three-ish, half an hour to get to Alexandra.
1: Alexandria? Ria. Alexandria. How long? Uh, I'll ask you one more question okay. and then call you an Uber.
2: I've got a car downstairs.
1: Oh, really? You yeah. drove?
2: No, Channel 10 a car. How cool is that? Wow. I know, mate.
1: That's the first time someone's had a limo to my house.
2: How's that? For a while. And I was surprised too. Really got a car? Sure, I'll take a car. Oh, thanks, Katie. Oh, Right
1: on. Good, uh, okay, so you mentioned it three times, so I am going to ask about it uh, and then I have one silly question to end with. What's the... Because at the moment, I always started this by me saying to you that right now I love everything that I'm doing, but it took me a really long time to figure out what I love to do. What, in your mind, is the, is the easiest way to start exploring what you're passionate about? Because some people might not even know mm. what, you, what their passion is or what their purpose is. What's the, what, are the, what are some of the questions to ask yourself to help find that?
2: Um, what it, it's, it's, it's nearly where like I'm 50 and I'm going, what do I want to be when I grow up? Right, So it's, it's, you never, never finish it. What I did was I actually didn't stop until I found it. So I, you know, I started as a you – know, worked in an advertising agency, then I went and worked in a gym and then I tried modelling, terrible model, shocking model, unless you were an animal. For some reason I got jobs with animals. I don't know why. Um, and then, you know, travelled overseas and then I just kept trying stuff until something went click the other thing is if you not keep trying things, it's, sometimes it's not actually the job that you're doing. It's someone who you meet through that job that says, oh, I'm going to do a, a line of clothing. Do you want to come and join me on that? Or I'm going to, you know, I've got this other idea. Would you like to come? So it's actually having that curious mind to actually continue to be open to ideas. You know, you know they, they who, who know everything, reckon you get five great, massive, big, life-changing opportunities in your leg, in, on your in your lap, every, 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 in your lifetime. And it is so easy just to go nah, because to say yes means you're out of your comfort zone, things have to change. You know, it's scary, you might lose your house. Like, I mean, one time we had to sell our house at Boots because we didn't have enough money. So, and so it's scary to say yes. So, I think it's also just being open, having that curious mind, and sometimes saying yes.
1: But it's safe to say no.
2: I know, it is. But you know, like you know, when when they talked about Shark Tank, you know, I the first thing I thought about was, oh god, social media's going to smash me, and they probably will. And you know, they're going to, you know, people are going to think I'm mean, or they're going to think I'm this, or you know, that's going to be quite confronting. But you know, it's fun. It was, you know, I said yes, and it ended up being a really good experience. I met four other really great people that I'm now classed as my friends, and it's been a great ride. So you know, yes means that there's, you know, it's life's a lot more fun if you say yes rather than no, as old Richard branson said
1: does yes also get you out of the scary things that you're afraid of
2: yeah yeah it does it does because you know why because when you say yes then what you think's going to happen or the fear that you're going to happen you realize it's actually not that bad so by yes means that you go oh actually that's fine because then what happens after that is you find out it's not so bad so you say yes easily next time
1: ah so final question i thought i was quite fancy I was living in Los Angeles when I first started a bachelor, all right? And I'd been unemployed for six months, paying rent out of my savings in a foreign country, which sounds like you know a bit about. Um, And I had a Vitamix that I bought, factory reconditioned, 350 US bucks. Nice. I got the bachelor job and uh, I thought, I'm out here for 10 weeks to shoot the first season. I thought, all right, I'll treat myself. Bought a second Vitamix. Had a Vitamix either side of the Pacific Ocean. Um, You're a founder of Boost Juice. I am. How many Vitamixes are in your <laughs> portfolio
2: in my portfolio <laughs> must be thousands man um, <laughs> 200 by 4 yeah a lot a lot they should like me more actually we should get a better deal we have a lot of item mixes yeah, yeah.
1: I think with that volume you could go on Alibaba and buy your own and start selling should, them shouldn't I yeah.
2: I know there should be business in that Count I me do in. that <laughs> I know. Have you got, got yours? We'll take yours off your hands.
1: No way. I wouldn't give mine up for anything. I actually
2: like, for home, I quite like the bullets.
1: Doesn't... For home. Doesn't... I've got one in Brisbane. When I did when I moved up there for radio, I bought the 900-watt one. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't doesn't chunk things up. Once you've had the Vitamix, it's like, oh, I can't I know, I know. The Vitamix's go,
2: good. Can't quite go back. Are you going Sunday night?
1: Yes, ma'am, City? I am. Nice. You're, okay, very quickly, uh, Logies last year, I rolled past the Shark Tank table and I think I propositioned you to come on this podcast a year ago. And because um, at the Logies, people don't realise, but you get the program and basically people put cash in the bowl and they all check who they think is going to win and the money goes to like, some other bowls had 50s, some of those 100. I've never seen more 50s and 100s than I saw on the Shark Tank table. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> it was just, what a pot, man. I
2: know, we were betting. Yeah. We wanted to win. Who took it home? Oh, it wasn't us. It was, uh, we were on the um, project table. It was one yeah. of the project guys. Really? Yeah, I think it may be Ali. Wally. Sure.
1: Wally, yeah. Wow, that was, some, that was pretty good.
2: I know. Well, it was sort of like, and in actual fact, the funny thing was, Naomi and I had no money on it, so Steve paid for us. <laughs> Steve put 50 in for us. All right. <laughs> put 50 in All right. So Steve actually gave Wally, all the money. Like, so We actually came out and we never paid him back. So, so yeah, so we're, this year we're doing the same thing, having no money on us, oh. hoping to be on the same table so Steve can pay for us again. That's the plan.
1: I, I, know, I know your time is valuable, but I can't thank you enough for coming well, over, over and sharing, uh, especially the stories of your 20s because I don't know if anyone quite realises how fun or how enjoyable or, to be honest, how skinny and good-looking you are in your 20s. Because you really are. Ha. People worry so much about how they look. But yeah. have a look at yourself when you were 22. You were hot. I don't care who you are. Yeah, you were true. hot. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Because
2: it doesn't last. <laughs> <So> it doesn't. <laughs>
1: I'll let you get in your fancy limo. No worries at all. Oh, thank you so much. Pleasure. I'm going to quickly take your photo. Yeah, go for Very it. Very quickly. Yeah. Okay, cool. And that was Janine Alice. Uh, she's on Twitter, at Janine Boost, J-A-N-I-N-E-B-O-O-S-T. Big thanks to Andy Ma who produced this show toe hider for the music thanks to everyone that supports the show at patreon for as little as five bucks a month you can get access to exclusive episodes that only supporters will get patreon.com slash osher until we speak next week feel your feet remind your brain that nothing exists in totality and just be confident that while it takes a little time it's kind of like carving a new groove in a piece of sandstone that you can rewire what is between your ears. Have a good week. I love you for listening. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things.
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.